an elevator and the person in the elevator turns to you and asks you a question. You got 30 seconds. And that question is, what is the gospel? We've all experienced what the gospel is, but are we able to say, express, explain what the gospel is? What is the gospel? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time somebody shared the gospel with you? Not when was it that you shared the gospel, but when was it that someone else shared the gospel with you? Because, you know, that's a good indication of how often people get to hear the gospel. The gospel. There is this life Bay research study that was done that 80% of evangelicals, of people who believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, that's the definition of people who believe in the gospel, 80% of them believe that it's their responsibility to share the gospel with someone else. And yet, 61% of people have not shared the gospel in the last six months. 61% of those 80% have not shared the gospel in the last six months. So the question is asked, how is it? Why is the discrepancy? Why is it that we believe? Why is it that we know it's important? And yet, we don't talk about it. We're not excited about it. We don't share about the gospel. They bring it down to this phrase called the gospel clarity. We've experienced it, but we don't know how to explain it. We don't know how to tell it. We, don't, we probably haven't fully understood the depth and the measure and the riches, this glory of the gospel. And so what we want to do over the next few weeks as God gives us opportunity is to clarify what is the gospel. We want to see the how, the what, the why, and all of those questions. But today, we want to better understand what the gospel is. So, we want to call it the gospel clarity. We would have a good understanding so we can explain, we can understand for ourselves and take joy in this gospel. So, for us to first understand what is the gospel, I think it's a good thing to ask to first understand what the gospel is not. The gospel is not a formula. It, it is not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved because that's the response to the gospel. Right? That is something that we can do, but that's not the gospel. But in that response, I, I was thinking about it, and the response, it, it sometimes has this selfish definition, right? We make it about ourselves, and if I believe in Jesus Christ, then I don't go to hell or whatever it be. Or we look at gospel as believing. Uh, I, I remember when I was in uh, Sunday school, and I've shared this with you, I think, some time ago. Uh, I probably was, t- you know, 12 or 13. I don't know how old I was at that time. I'd missed the previous class. And so the next Sunday, the following Sunday, I get, and my Sunday school teacher asked, asked me this question. And I realized later it was a setup question. And he asked me, Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I said, I don't want to go to, I want to go to heaven. And everybody, all the class, you know, the rest of the class, they burst out laughing because they had gone through the same question and they were told that we, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ not because we want to go to heaven, but because of Jesus Christ. And, you know, that was the, uh, that's the reason and that was the lesson too. But in somehow making it into a formula, we have made that into a very selfish reason. And then it's not a process. It's not a sequence of steps. It's not like the four spiritual laws that we, it's laid out by the power to change. It's not A, B, C, accept that you're a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and confess your sins. Again, that's a process. The gospel is not a process. It is not good moral living. 
We think that as Christians, we are expected to live uh, to a standard, which is, you know, so that people will look at us and say, oh, wow, that, that's a Christian. A Christian wouldn't do that or whatever it is. There's this expectation to live as a good moral person. Sometimes the Sunday school classes are like that, right? I mean, I, I don't know if you've experienced it. When you go, you're taught about Daniel and how Daniel prayed. You're taught about David and how David was courageous. And then you're taught about some other characters like Samson and Delilah. Oh, no, don't be like them. And so what it is is be like David, be like Daniel, don't be like Samson, don't be like Delilah. It becomes a very moralistic story. Gospel is reduced to just good living. But you see, the, these characters, are not the heroes. God is the hero. It's about the conformity to Christ, which is the eventual goal of the gospel. Because if it's just moralizing, if it is you and I trying hard to live a good life, then it will lead to religious um, um, frustration, weariness of trying to live good, because inherently we are not, and we're trying to do what we are not. Oh, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So it's important that we understand the root issue in trying to understand the gospel. This is the story of this, of this man who went to the doctor. He says, doctor, it hurts every part of my body that I touch. And so the doctor says, okay, show me which part. He says, oh, it hurts me here, it hurts me here, it hurts me here, it hurts me here, it hurts me here. It hurts my back. I mean, it does. But, you know, he's pointing all these places. And the doctor says, show me your finger. And sure enough, his finger was broken. You see, to get to the root cause is important. If we just reduce it to moralizing, then we have defanged the gospel. So the question we want to ask ourselves is, what is the gospel? We want to understand what is the gospel. <clears throat> what we'll do is we'll construct the definition as we go, as we, as we cover, we'll continue to build so that we have a good definition or an explanation, if you would, and you meet somebody in the elevator, you've got 30 seconds, at least you've got something you can talk about. All right? So... First of all, I want you to understand the gospel is good news, is good news. I want to show that I know a little bit of Greek. There's a Greek word called evangelion, which means good news. U-E-U -E -U means good, like you have euphemism and eulogy. That's you as in good. Then you have anglion, which is the word for message or news. That's the root word where we get the word angelos or angel, the messenger. And so put together, we have good news. Gospel is the good news. Gospel is the good news. But you must ask me, why is it a good news? Would you ask me? Why is it a good news? Thank you. Why is it a good news? We need to understand, at least for two reasons, why it is a good news. For one, it is good news because it addresses the most important, most important problem or the most serious problem of mankind. God is holy, we are not. And that's a problem. Sin is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not that we were colder than Mars or that I've got a back pain or whatever it is. It is sin. Sin is the biggest problem. And gospel is something that addresses our most serious problem. But the second part of why it's a good news is because it's the gift of God. We, it is, it addresses the most serious problem of mankind, but it's also the gift of God. You see, the most serious problem, the solution to it is given us a gift from God to whom our offense is, too. 
You see, it's given to us as a gift of God. It's not something that we can earn, not something that we must earn, but it's something that is given to us as a gift. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have kept re- resolutions for 2018. No? Your resolution is not to keep a resolution? Okay, all right, I get that. That's, again, a resolution. You know, it's contraindicated, or it's the irony of uh, the resolution. But listen to this. Hundreds and millions of dollars are spent on self-help. This year, or 2017, $60 billion was spent on trying to improve health. Gym membership and uh, health food and all of, all of those that are associated with uh, good and healthy living. Only 9% were successful. And 67% of people never used their memberships, the gym membership. The reason I bring up this is for the, for, to, to clarify this. You see, in our very basic, in our day-to-day essentials, we seem to fail. We can't keep a resolution. And so, you know, you've decided you're not going to have a resolution as a result because we can't keep our resolutions. Simple as this. And we dare say that we're going to keep a resolution in trying to do and good and be what God expects us to. And that is just not possible. It must be a gift. It must be something that God is going to give us. It's not something that we can do. We always fail. And so for what is man's biggest problem, God gives a gift as a solution, a solution as a gift. And so the gospel is not an invitation to become a more religious. It's, our, it's the confession. It involves the confession of our total inability and a trust that what God is giving us a gift is sufficient as my solution for my, for my sin. That's what the gospel is, right? And so... Let's get back to this definition that we've been constructing. We said gospel is the good news, and it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. But then, you know, if there's a good news, there must be a bad news. You see, if there's a bad news only, then will the news be good news? So you have to ask me, what is the bad news? What's the bad news? The bad news is that God is good. You heard me. The bad news is that God is good. You see, because God is good, he can't do with you and I who are not good. That's bad news. We were talking about as because if he's a good God, he can't keep he can't allow for evil and the and 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 everything that is wicked and bad. And so gospel, therefore, is God's countermeasure to this bad news. It's God's medicine, solution for the bad news. In Romans chapter 3, 23 and 24, which is called the Acropolis of Christian faith, and what that means is like the fortress, the strong point, the, the main thing, If you will turn with me to Romans 3.23, you will see how this good news and this bad news come to to play out. So Romans 3 and 23. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, uh, sorry, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if I were to ask you this question, what's the imagery that you have in mind of justice? What is it? It is a woman blindfolded, holding out a scale. Now, I want to submit to you there are three things wrong with that. First of all, there's a negative gender characterization. Men, you do wrong. And I want you to understand, it's not just the women. That must have been some guy who who would have started that. 
And this person is blindfolded. Now, I want us to understand that truth actually frees, it liberates, it, it makes you see, it doesn't make you blind. And more importantly, think of it, we, we think the truth is about a balance, a scale where the good and the bad just gets balanced. And, and, and I, I, I understand the right imagery of truth to be not a scale that's held up so that we can get the right balance, but that of a measuring tape. You were supposed to do 10 feet, but you've done only half a feet. You've fallen short. That's the bad news. It's not that we're trying to get to balance everything in the, in the equation to try and find God to be pleased with what we have tried with our efforts, but we are far short of what God wants us. And that's the bad news. But go on to see what the good news is. The good news is that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that we are, we, that we are justified, we are made right, we, we are held to be right, legally right before God as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. I, I love that song that Fanny Crosby has written, To God Be the Glory, being the title, and he says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You know what that means? It means that a Hitler or Pol Pot or, or Stalin or, you know, the top 10 dictators of this world have been responsible for the loss of 150 million people in the last century. But if any of them, the vilest offender, if they believe in Jesus Christ and receive of this gift at that very moment, a pardon they receive, that is the beginning or the light falling into what the gospel is all about. And the hope and joy is not that we say, how come he gets, how come Hitler can get away, but to say that if he gets, at least I got some chance, and that is grace. The gospel. The gospel. So, let's construct. Gospel then is the good news, a gift from God that counters the greatest problem of mankind. The greatest problem of mankind. We've fallen far short, but in the gospel we have the solution that it's going to be taken care of. But then our definition is not complete. We need to see what more do we understand about the gospel. You see, in the Bible, gospel is seen primarily through three ways. The first is the gospels. You know, the four narratives, the biographical narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, his earthly ministry. And those of you who are the grammar police or grammar nerds, you, you would use a uppercase G to indicate these Gospels. So, so gospel then, in one way, is this literary genre, this, the narratives of the earthly ministry. And then secondly, the way the gospel is used in the Bible, especially and particularly in the, in the gospel narrative, is in the announcement in the announcement of the kingdom of God. See, Israel was waiting for a king, and, and we see how the wise men, when they come, they come and ask, what, where is he who is born, the king of, of the Jews? And then we have John the Baptist. <clears throat> John the Baptist who comes, and he prepares the people for the coming kingdom, because in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we see him proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, is at hand. And not just that, he, he, he not just prepares the people, but he announces the person of the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ, the Agnes die, the Lamb of God. When he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Agnes means lamb, day means God. Agnes day, the lamb of God, not Angus. Angus is beef. 
And I thought about it, you know, I was thinking that God's Agnes for God's Angus. God's lamb for God's beef against sin and wickedness and evil. It works well. Jesus Christ. And that's the way the rest of the New Testament proclaims who, what the gospel is. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just the epistles, but also Mark. Mark begins his uh, narrative by saying in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, saying the beginning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is about Jesus Christ. It's about the person and about the work of Jesus Christ. It's about the glorious person of Jesus Christ and the gracious work of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Blaise Pascal, he says this, he says, not only do we know God except through Jesus Christ, we don't even know ourselves except through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You see, gospel then is the reveling, is the enjoying, is the celebrating of the glories of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, that the God of this world has blinded those so that they're not able to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, when gospel comes and we are able to see the glories of Christ, we're able to enjoy, and, and therefore, we've always said this again and again, the beauty of holiness. You see, holiness of God was a terror to us, but now because of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's now become a beautiful thing. We can look at Jesus Christ and say, he is my, uh, he's my beloved, the fairest of 10,000. The person of Jesus Christ. But not just that, but also, like I said, the gracious work of Jesus Christ. So if you will therefore turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would you turn with me please? 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You see... Um, the work of the gospel indicated here. But what I want to do is I want to pick up some of the words that I've highlighted and clarify this. Where I look at the word received and the word passed on. Paul is saying, this is what I received and I'm going to pass it on. This is something which is not mine. I didn't make it up. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, he says, The gospel that you received is not man's gospel. It is about God. I received it, and I pass it on. Then it says of first importance, verse 3. First importance. That it's, uh, it's the first thing among anything. If I were to talk about it, it must be the gospel. Must be about this good news. This is of utmost priority. This is of eternal consequence. There's nothing more important than I can talk to you about. I met you after five months. The first thing, the greatest thing I can talk to you about is the gospel. I meet you after a day. The first thing, the greatest thing I can talk to you about is the gospel. It's of most importance. The gospel. And verse 3 also talks about, the, about Christ, the Christ, the anointed one. It's because of him through whom we have the salvation. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read this, that there is salvation in no other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we can be saved. You see, the gospel is, I want you to get this, gospel is about the exclusivity. It's about the uniqueness of Christ. Christ does not give you the permission. You don't have the authority to put him along with something else and say, yeah, I understand that, but, you know, I believe in the rest of things. You, you cannot be magnanimous with him. Gospel is exclusive. He says it's only through Jesus Christ, and that's why it's the good news, that he is, therefore, the good news. That says according to the scriptures. See, the whole of Bible is about the redemption of mankind. It's the story that builds up to this crescendo on the cross. We were, we were thinking and reminded of the cross, of how God's mercy, his character, and his holiness, all of that come into play so beautifully. Only found in Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice this four clauses. Four times it appears that, 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 that Christ died for our sins. Verse 3. The death of Jesus Christ is for your sins. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also died for us once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. You see, the difference that we had, the, the thing that we, we would fallen far short of, that, that, that blocked, as it were, the approach to God because of his death. You don't have to do anything about it, right? And that's what it is. What did Christ say on the cross? It is finished. Not I'm finished. Uh, that's what the devil said. Because in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we read that he disarmed the principalities and powers and he made them a public spectacle. But for Christ, he finished all the work so that you don't have to do anything at all. And then he was buried. <clears throat> the joy of knowing... That Jesus was buried. You know what that means? It gives me, it, there are two things that tells me about that. One is the assurance of his resurrection. The fact that he was buried tells me that he died. You see that the, these were Romans who were trained to kill and know that when a person is dead. They, 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 you, you don't be taken up by any of these swoon theories or a substitute theory that God alternated, put somebody else, and everybody thought it, it was. But, you know, God is not in a manipulator. God is not a manipulator. He's not in the manipulation business. Jesus Christ died and he was buried. And that's an assurance when he rises up again that he rose from the dead. But not just the fact that we have this assurance, but also the association. I want you to understand this, okay? We are talking about the incorruptible one. We are talking about the eternal one. We are talking about the one who was buried. You and I, when we die, have to be buried because earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But the incorruptible one was treated as if he were corruptible, and that's association, listen to this, in birth from a womb and in burial in a tomb, he was one with his sinful brethren. He associated himself with you and I so that he could die for you and for me. In his death, an address to your greatest problem, sin. When we talk about baptism, you see, that's important. I want you to understand the picture so beautifully related in baptism because in baptism, I'm telling what has happened inside of me. I'm no more trying this, you know, like uh, uh, trying to swim and try stay afloat in this, in this world where I'm trying to show that I'm good. But in baptism, I'm saying that my sins have been buried, this old self has been buried, and now I'm risen in the newness of life. 
buried. But not just that he was buried, but he was raised on the third day. He was raised. You see, every other person who was raised from the dead, they died after. But not Christ. He was raised on the third day. And 1 Corinthians 15, 17 reminds us that if Christ be not raised, our faith is futile. If your Christ, the one who you trust, if he is not risen from the dead, then then all this is just mere religion. It's dead. It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you and I have the hope that when I trust him, that my death would be set aside and that I would have this rise up in this newness of life. And then we see Christ and that he appeared. He appeared to Cephas or Peter, to the 12 in verse 5 you read, and then in verse 6 to 500 others. This is the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ transformed these fearful disciples into ones who, who turned the world upside down. And so when we look at the glories of Jesus Christ, which the gospel allows us to, we begin to realize who he is and how what a, what, a, what a person. Our hearts are enthralled. The gospel. And so back to our working definition, we said gospel is the good news. It's the gift from God that counters the greatest problem of mankind. For eternal God came to earth as man in Jesus Christ he died for us since he was buried and he was raised again, just as the scriptures said. We're not done yet because you see, this gospel demands a response. The question of so what? Three things. One, it demands that we that that the gospel must be believed. This gospel must be believed. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we read that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It must be believed. It's a gift. And if it's a gift, it must be received. If it's a gift, you must, you receive it as if that you've put your trust in it. And you're saying that I recognize this to be my, uh, the solution to my greatest need. Nothing more than saying that, yes, I, I don't have it. God has it. And he's offering it to me. Gospel must be believed. But also gospel must be lived. You see, we must live worthy of the gospel. Gospel is something that must be evidenced in our life, in our choices, in our behavior. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians 1, 27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news or of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you believe in this gospel, you become citizens of heaven, and then you have to live a life like the citizens of heaven, as a life worthy of this good news of the gospel. Paul is writing this to the Philippi, uh, the church at Philippi. Now, uh, it's only about the uh, city of Philippi do we read that it's a Roman colony. And what that meant for a Roman colony is that these cities 
they spoke in Latin. They, you know, the official language maybe, and there would be other languages, but they spoke in Latin. They dressed like Romans. The magistrate had Roman titles. And even though they lived far away from Rome itself, the city of Rome, they lived far away. They lived like Romans. They understood what it means to be the citizen of Rome. They had great value. Remember Paul when he was stretched out to be flogged and he says, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? They, they just feared that they would dare put, lay their hands on a Roman citizen without a trial. You see, they, they, they had this clear understanding what it means to be a citizen. And you and I, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're the citizens of the, of the heaven, of the uh, citizens of heaven. We ought to live then in a manner worthy. That is, that we understand the true value, that we understand what it means. As I look at myself, and, and I begin, because I always begin with myself being selfish, and then you start to look at the glories of Christ, and you realize that there should have been no connection, no relationship. And that now in believing in him, that I would have this this wonderful opportunity to be called the citizen of heaven, to be called the sons and daughters of God. How can we then not live a life through the strength and the power that he gives not walk and not walk worthy of the gospel? It must be believed, it must be lived, but it must be shared. You see, if it's good news, news is only news when it's shared. It must be shared. And I want you to understand that there is this great confidence about, the, about this news. Because in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached. Not that it should be preached, not that it might be preached, but that he, it will be preached. It's not just the great commandment, not just the great commission, but it's the great certainty. It's the great confidence that the good news will be preached among all the nations. And he uses you and I. And so that's the great opportunity. Not just the great confidence, but the great opportunity for you to be in the same team, in the same project as that of God, the God of universe. So when you live out your gospel, when you share the gospel, when you know you understood what this gospel is, you understood the immensity of what the gospel is, that it allows me to, 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 to not just be a participant, but also to be a partner. then we begin to realize that what a privilege the God of the universe would call me to, to be involved in. But get this, the great treason. If he's your king, if he's your Lord, and if, you're, if you don't share the gospel, if you don't live the gospel, then you're in treason, and high treason to the king. You cannot, you do not have an excuse. You cannot say, oh, look at him, his life, or look at her, her life, or, or because of the circumstance, and because, you know, all of those excuses then become your king. Jesus Christ is not your king. The very person of Jesus Christ, who is the good news, he is the one who says that your life must reflect and your mouth must foretell, must tell. There's no option. There's no option. Because when we know what the gospel is, when we understand the, the, the privilege, the, the joy, the, the glorious understanding of what the gospel is, that I was, uh, I was helpless, I was depraved, I had absolutely no way, absolutely no way of rescue. And that God comes in with a gift and he says, I'm going to get you out of that. And all I have to do is to believe in him and trust him. If we even begin to understand what has happened, 
then you will realize. With Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Coming to our definition, it says gospel is the good news, a gift from God that counters the greatest problem of mankind for the eternal God came down to earth as man in Christ Jesus. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again, just as the scripture said. This gift is now offered freely to men and women alike. And by accepting this gospel, they move from damnation to life through the lordship of Jesus Christ on their lives. Just by trusting, you move from damnation to be a citizen of heaven, to be his child. The gospel. But I want you to understand that we've been looking at gospel just as part of the salvation. And I want you to know, gospel is not just limited to salvation. It is not just the doorway that gets us in and then we have to you know, try and find a way through. Gospel is the entire package. It's all that God has for you and I through Jesus Christ. We need to get the full picture. Let me read to you this quote. Gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. Gospel is not just the ABC, but the A to Z of Christianity. Let me give you some passages that will help us clarify this. We've already seen this, that gospel brings salvation. I just love the verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into salvation. It's the power of God into salvation. It is not just, it don't reduce it to any mere wishy-washy thing. It's the power of God. It's, it's by this gospel, the goodness of Jesus Christ, that you and I, you and I have saved. The work of God. Nothing that I can do. Nothing that you can do. I can do it for you. You can do it for me. That's the power of God. But not just that it's the power of God unto salvation. But I want you to understand that it's the, the basis of our sanctification. And I know that's a big word. Um, I can ask you to write it down and check on you if you got the spelling right, but no, you need to understand the meaning of it. Sanctification is this increasing conformity to Christ, this desire for holiness to be like Christ that comes from within because what's transformed is on the inside. I'm going to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, which has come to you indeed, which is the gospel to the whole world, and it's bearing fruit and increasing. So the question you and I have to ask is, if we understood this gospel, is it bearing fruit and it's increasing? If it is not, then you need to pause. I don't want you to be deluded. I don't want you to think that everything is okay. You know, at some point in time, you said the spread, the sinner spread, and then, you know, God is now obligated. Now, he is when you have confessed and you believed, but I pray that that was true. Because oftentimes, oftentimes, we may be deceived. If you don't see this bearing of fruit and it's increasing. In Romans chapter 16 and 25, it says, now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel. It's God. We've always asked this question. It seems very daunting, but trust is daunting because you're saying that I'm going to give my life to someone else and he's going to take care of it, but he's the king of the universe. He's, he's the one who died for you. You trust him and he says he's going to strengthen you. He's going to make you stronger in him, in your belief, in your trust, in your faith. But it begins there, Right? When you trust him, he doesn't just leave you there, but he grows in you the strength and this faith. And the gospel is also the hope of glory, not just in the past, not in the present, for those of you who've trusted, but also of the future. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, And to this he called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that one day I'd be conformed to the image of his son, that one day, because of the gospel, that I'd be able to 
to, to look at the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he looks to me and I stand there in his righteousness to behold and say, like he is the one who's just caught all my, like there's no other distraction. There's nothing else because my heart is so wonderfully, beautifully entwined with him. Blameless and holy. The gospel. So we have <clears throat> gospel as the good news. A gift from God that counters the greatest problem of mankind. For the eternal God came down to earth as man in Christ Jesus. He died for us sins. He was buried and he was raised again. Just as the scriptures said, this gift is now offered freely to man and women alike. By accepting this gospel, they move from damnation to life through the lordship of Jesus Christ on their lives. This gospel is the entire plan of God. It saves us, it keeps us, and presents us wholly before him. When we began, we looked at a test, a uh, study. We said that, um, you know, what they believe and what they do seem to be different. The study goes on to say that 80% of people say that if you, we looked at that and we said 80% of people who believe in the gospel, they also believe that they have this uh, uh, responsibility to share the gospel. But interestingly, the, of those 80%, only 81% believe in the accuracy of the Bible, saying that I believe everything that's written in, in this word as God-given. Only 94% of people actually believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how that really works. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, I think there's something tragically wrong with that that you believe in the gospel, but you can't believe in his word, you can't believe in his work, there's, you know, there's a dysfunction there. But a large percent, that's about 48% of those people who say that they believe in the gospel, they believe that if, you, if you're generally good, if you do all the good things, that they can earn a place in heaven. It, 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 how is that possible? You're saying that, that this, these very people who believe in the gospel, 48% of them are saying, all you have to do is try and be good so that you can get to heaven. But that's not the gospel, you see, because there is this lack of gospel clarity. We haven't understood what the gospel is. The gospel is just this, that you and I cannot do anything and that God has done it through Jesus Christ, the, the glorious person and the gracious work of Jesus Christ. And that's entrusting that, that I have any hope of salvation. And entrusting that, I have the joy of being strengthened in this faith. And in, strength, and in this gospel, I have the hope of eternity that I'll be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to read to you a definition. Just, I, I just tidied it up, but I want you to know that we don't end here. We, we continue to look at this so that we have this definitive understanding. Not definitely, probably, because our learning will continue on, but at least a better understanding and, and, and this urge in us this excitement of the gospel would never fade. And then because of that excitement, we are able to constantly speak and talk about this person of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? If you were to explain, you could say Jesus Christ, God eternal, came down on earth as man. And by his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he met the righteous requirements of God on our behalf. There is now nothing that anyone else can do but to accept this free gift and faith to move from sure death to the guarantee of eternal life in Jesus Christ. This entire plan of God saves us, keeps us, and will present us holy before God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My question to you is what are you going to do about it?
we did say there are three responses. You must believe it because it impacts your eternity. You must live it because it has impacted our eternity. And we must share it because we want to impact the rest of mankind. And that's the privilege you and I have. And may God bless you. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that, that in Jesus Christ we have everything that we need. I don't know, Lord, if among us there's anyone who hasn't understood about the person and about the work of Jesus Christ. Anyone who hasn't understood the depravity of sin, the hopelessness of sin, and that you have done everything, your son has done everything on the cross, and just to trust and to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as one who has, who is the king of this universe, is now the Lord of my life. And we pray for those who have trusted you, Lord, and 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 years have gone by. But our lives have not matched up. Our choices don't come together. We, we do what we want to do. We are our own lords and we assume that you're okay with that. We assume that your goodness will, will, will be okay with our sin, but we have forgotten that your goodness is bad news for our sin. That as we think of you as our king, as our Lord, as one who is the sovereign one, that our lives are spruced up by the, by the work at the cross. And Lord, that through the strength that you give us, Lord, that we would live for your glory as the citizens of heaven. And with this joy and this hope of your soon coming, that we be gathered around the throne of grace. What more can we ask for than Christ himself? And we pray, Lord, for every opportunity, every breath that you give, every day that you give, we would speak of the king for his worthy, is worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory, all majesty, and of all our communication. We thank you for him. We love him. And we have approached this throne in the name of your son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.